0: to this episode of saintly witnesses where i talk to the catholic behind the account today i'm speaking with kevin Schilling, who's a city councilman uh the city called burien in washington so great great to have another public servant come on and talk about the vital work that they do locally so thank you for coming on kevin thank you for the invitation this is awesome i appreciate it so much yeah, for sure. And just like I just said, you know, I had a Brett Ware came on and he was a a public servant in his city. I, that was episodes ago. And uh, I've continued the dialogue with about politics uh, in little bits and spurts. But I'm glad to have another like official public servant come on and talk about their Catholic faith journey and also highlight the important work that they do uh, locally with their job. So thank you for coming on. So let's get started with the conversation. Um, sure. You're, you're a Catholic. Uh, tell us a little bit about your Catholic journey, like, or your cradle Catholic, revert, convert, and like, what are some major
1: uh, points that happened in your life along the way? Sure. I, that's a fantastic, I mean, it's a great question that I think all Catholics should be comfortable answering because it's, it's our job to go out into the world and, uh, and, and, and spread the good news. Exactly. Um, You're always supposed to have your faith journey on hand because you don't know who is <laughs> ready, to- ready to go, <laughs> on hand ready to go. Um, I like to say, especially because being an elected official, you have to run for office, you have to campaign, uh, which means, you know, your life is pretty public. Um, I like to say that I'm openly Catholic. Like I, I don't know there's no hiding it. Um, I've been <laughs> Catholic my whole life. Uh, my, my parents are Catholic. Uh, my dad's parents are Catholic. My dad's been doing all this genealogical research and our Catholicism stretches all the way back to the 13th century in Poland. Um, So it's pretty much a cradle Catholic situation, but interesting, you know, I had a sort of similar, uh, interesting experience to my Catholicism that I think a lot of suburban white Americans have, which is sort of like this, this routine of going to mass every weekend and maybe going to Catholic school. But then once you're out of Catholic school or you're out of that routine, you sort of just leave the faith and you don't have any reason to stick with it. Um, or you, or your parents are really engaged in their in their Catholicism, training of Catholicism within you, and trying to create that relationship with the church. But then, you know, once school's over and you're off on your own, you just sort of leave it, and there's no relationship to it anymore. Um, and I certainly had that leaving Catholic school and going to public high school, and uh, sort of felt adrift from not just the church, but from faith altogether. Uh, I was one of those kids that thought he knew everything and said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm agnostic. Yeah, I'm an atheist. <laughs> I was like a 15, 16 year old. Um, but then, you know, as I as I left high school and started going to college and being out on my own. All those questions started coming up, you know, I felt lonely and uh, by myself and confused. And, you know, I, I went back to the home I knew, which was my faith and and my and my relationship to Jesus. And so um, that that was sort of a return. I, I explained myself as a returned Catholic uh, after a couple of years of being, being away back in, the, back in the day, back in like early college, late high school. Right.
0: Okay. So you had your like knucklehead uh, rebel days uh, and leaving the church <laughs> and then you came back. So it's good right. that you came back to the faith and you came back stronger. Yeah. Too so that's good.
1: Absolutely, but I think that all comes back to an issue with how we, how we uh, explain and expect young people to have a relationship with the church. We expect them just to accept everything the church says and accept. Just sort of here it is, there you go. Why haven't you accepted it? Instead of let's work to have let's work to help you in this faith exploration, understand your relationship to Jesus. What are these things that we want you to learn about your relationship to God, instead of just saying, this is your relationship to God, this is what's important, accept it or don't, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to dive into this relationship with the gospels and and with, and with the church itself. Yeah, that's a good point, especially, you know,
0: it, it basically sounds like you're saying that you have to make the faith your own instead of like being obedient, just blindly obedient. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, adolescent kids here, just follow, 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 rather than how do I foster my own devotion to God? So it's good that you had that sort of like discernment phase in your life and you came back to the Mm. church. So Mm -hmm. as a person who left the church and then came back and, you know, you had this uh, really strong uh, Catholic family, uh, what is some advice that you would say to anybody who was discerning the Catholic church that's like, Hey, maybe I should convert or, Uh, become Catholic, what you think you would say?
1: See, and that's a great question, because um, I think, I think, especially in the suburbs, Catholic churches, we, there's not a whole lot of evangelization going on. It's sort of like, we've got our, we've got our crew, we've got our group of Catholics that are in the neighborhood, um, and there's not a whole lot of evangelization to go reach out and say, come become a Catholic, or uh, some interfaith, interreligious dialogue going on about you know what does the Catholic Church believe versus what do our what do our uh, neighbors our neighbors believe maybe who are in uh, some Protestant churches but um, you know I would say if you have a dedication to worship like if you have a dedication to wanting to really present yourself as someone who is desiring a relationship to God and a beautiful way to worship God. I mean, the Catholic Church and the liturgy within the Catholic Church, but also just the entirety of thought and um, and d- just a plethora of beauty that's come from the Catholic Church. I mean, you can't have, there's, there's nothing like it. I mean, uh, a couple of, two years ago, I really got into iconography and I was telling my non-Catholic friends, like, you know, you can identify that saint based off these attributes and their minds were blown. Like, I mean, would go to the museum and I would say... Well, that's St. Sebastian. And you know that because he's got arrows. Right, on, right. <laughs> those those arrows, markers right? on the icon. Right, right. So, I mean, the the beauty is there. I would say to people, you know, the, the exploration of your relationship to God is is deep within the, the beauty of the Catholic Church and sort of the and sort of the uh, relationship you have to that liturgy and that community um, come experience that. Yeah, that's a beautifully said about why you should come to come to
0: the Catholic church. You know, the the worship alone is is worth investigating and uh, getting you closer to God. So definitely a good point. Uh, So let's go to the next topic. You know, I read and did some research online um, that you had like a pretty extensive, you know, engagement with, you know, public service uh, in your life. So give us a little bit about like what influenced you to work in public service. Mm. Well, I
1: mean. Obviously, my Catholic faith <laughs> was a huge motivation. Um, sort of growing up and and thinking about Christian Christian ideas and uh, Catholic social teaching, um, volunteerism uh, were all major were all major points of that dedication. But I also just couldn't see myself doing anything else. Public services is, is truly a place where you can exhaust yourself in. In the service of others, I say a prayer every morning when I wake up. It's actually on a plaque next to my bed. It says, uh, "Lord, grant me the grace to exhaust myself in the service of others." Um, and I, I decided I didn't want to live a life where I spent any time not focused on improving the lives of other people, or try, or at least trying to. Um, and that, of course, was sort of founded in my in my uh, history of my education within the Catholic faith. And I went to Catholic school um, for grade school and then public school for high school. But I come from a family of public servants. My dad was in the Navy. My grandfather was in the Navy. Um, And then on my mother's side, uh, her brother was in the military. Her dad was in the military. Um, it's It's a long line of servants, of public servants for sure. So it's always been in the back of my mind Um, And I just knew coming out of graduate school, coming out of undergraduate school, um, that I wanted to do something where I could truly exhaust myself. And so after grad school, I just, I I decided I wanted to run for office. Um, And so I came back to my hometown, my hometown of uh, and and put my hat in the ring. (laughs)
0: that's good to hear that you have like a a family line of of a politicians Mm -hmm. and you know people who just worked in public Mm -hmm. service so it's good that you had influential um, you know figures in your life that led you Mm -hmm. on that path Um, so my next question is something I'm always interested in Uh, we talk about politics all the time but I'm really more interested in like the philosophy and like, what do you actually believe? Um, so with that said, like, give us an overview of your political philosophy and beliefs, and uh, do you have any issues that you feel are like
1: central to you that you want to advocate for in public service? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because I think oftentimes when elected officials get on podcasts or TV shows or whatever, there's not an in depth understanding of their philosophical groundings for what they believe, and I think oftentimes too there's a, there's a just sort of this relationship to uh, performance politics, where you just got to say what you got to say in order to have the support you want to have. But I mean, when you dive deep into the philosophy of someone's political leanings, it becomes a little more complicated, right? Like, I am not just, I believe this across the spectrum for every, for every issue, you know, not one, one philosophical grounding does not solve every issue you need to be able to look at an issue and understand what the practical pragmatic solutions solve that problem um, in that you know the, the practical the practical pragmatism of, of solving problems um, and also because you can you can end up with consequences that you don't know uh, would happen um, if you don't spend time understanding what practical solutions there need to be to solve a problem so I you know, I, I I'm I'm not necessarily in a camp that focuses on one philosophy over another, but I would say that sort of I I'm I'm much more grounded in um, liberal liberalism tendencies um, towards a lot of social issues. Uh, so, for example, I mean, on city council, uh, we are I'm, I'm focused a lot on zoning, planning, understanding how we can get more housing. Uh, looking at how we can spur business, especially in a post-pandemic world. We, no one was prepared for the pandemic um, and no one was, no one was super prepared for understanding how their political ideology or political philosophy uh, catered to solving the pandemic problems. So I'm very, I'm very foundationally focused in my political leanings on sort of subsidiarity uh, comes a lot from, from my Catholic, from a Catholic social teaching background, subsidiarity, um as well as a, a, a dedication to soft distributism i think that i think that n- not every solution can be found in a wholly capitalist answer but not every solution can be found in a wholly state run answer there has to be there has to be a way to meet that relationship where there's support for uh, private run businesses you know people spending time investing their energy and time and, and money into something they think is going to help themselves, uh, but we also need to have a really engaged electorate around what the government is doing. Um, And and we can meet meet that relationship, right? Like you can have a government that supports helping people uh, invest in in, in themselves, in businesses, uh, in, in expanding the market, but you can also expect private enterprise to get people engaged in the operations of their government. They, they work both ways. So uh, my philosophy is grounded in that space where solution-driven problem solving uh, around solutions and consequences is, is how I sort of view a problem. And, and in that practical approach where I don't really know what the solution to something is until I've seen it and until I can study it. Um, and I think we need more political answers in that lens, where people are willing to spend time studying and researching and having a conversation uh, around practical solutions than just saying, you know, this is my philosophy or this is my affiliation and therefore there's the solution there. We won't, we won't solve any problems that way. And that's why some of the most visible problems I think are not solved, like um, uh, like mass, uh, mass homelessness, which of course the Catholic church has been working on since it's since Jesus um, and, and spreading, spreading the good news around, uh, around uh, loving, loving our neighbors. Um, yeah. I hope I've answered your, I hope I've answered some of your questions. I know I just said a lot. No,
0: you. it's all, it's all good. You gave a lot of good points, which is going to bring us into the next question very well. Um, so you just said that you gave a lot of, about your political philosophy and you touched on like your embrace of liberalism uh, distributism, um, in your local, you know, government in Burien, like what ways have you been engaged with the community and like, what are some, um, you know, projects or developments that you, uh, took in the lead on? I know for instance, like you sent me, uh, a video regarding the Black Lives Matter and a dialogue that you had last summer with, uh, you know, it seems to be local teens or, uh, young adults in that area. And you guys are just having a, a great conversation on like here's the problem here are the action steps and this is how we hit the ball running to do the work to you know fight against anti-black vibes and um you know just racist environment mm-hmm. so that was a good mm-hmm. you know involvement that I've seen you in so what are some other things uh, or if you want to talk more about that that's cool too
1: yeah I uh well of course the uh the racial justice reckoning in the United States intersecting with the pandemic was a call to arms, really, right? Like this was a, this was a, a reservoir. <laughs> we were all called to confront our own racism in our lives. And I tried to do what I could to spark some conversation with, with my friends around what's going on, what's going on locally here. Um, and there was a lot, I tried to do a lot of engagement around that uh, in that in that video series, I sent you the black the Black Millennial Lives Matter uh, video series um, where I had three three people on uh, to discuss what this is like from the millennial perspective, right? I think we I think millennials have an interesting perspective here when it comes to what what we can do for racial equity in this country. Um, now, as we've moved forward under a new presidential administration, uh, I've been working a lot on advocating for things like, um internet access, uh broadband access. I did that at the beginning of the pandemic. That was huge for me. Um, and I'm doing it now at the state legislative level to get, get some broadband access, more uh ex- expanded broadband access here. Yeah, that's that's super important. I think somebody,
0: uh, not to cut you off, but somebody okay. I interviewed, he mentioned that uh, you know, broadband and internet access is, is has become, you know, like a public utility that needs to be, you know, you know, distributed and helped made possible by the government. So I think that's it is a public utility. Um,
1: yeah. Especially if you look at it now from uh, the impact of the pandemic. You know, we expected everyone to go online. Well, you, could, you can't go online if you don't have internet. Um, right, right. Especially children then, in school. Especially children in school. And then if you look at the root cause of the solutions, right, like if you can't afford internet, you're definitely not going to get it. So um, I, I've been working a lot on expansion to broadband access. Uh, My big initiative right now that I've been working on with the Aspen Institute and the National League of Cities is around childcare, Uh, trying to figure out how to create a a city-based childcare, sort of like a city-based childcare public option for people. Another one of those those equity issues where people can't, especially if you were an essential worker who didn't get to stay at home and you had to go into work, where are you supposed to put your kids? How are you supposed to afford that? Childcare is massively expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good, that's a very good, um, you know, thing that you've put forward to advance because childcare costs are just expensive and it's right. a burden if you're already working in, you know, a low, co- low income job and trying to
1: hustle and make ends meet with bills. And this has become a national conversation. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney proposed the first um, child tax credit expansion. And then the Democrats in the Senate proposed their own. And now President Biden signed into, into law the first of its kind largest child care tax credit, I mean child tax credit expansion, um, I think since Lyndon Johnson. So yeah. this this was huge, and this has become a national debate. And I know there's more work at the federal level now around how to provide money for child care providers and access to child care. And so what I'm trying to do is conceptualize how cities can interject themselves. To provide some sort of option for low-income families to access childcare, um, that all sparked with this with this change in the essential workers and people who could work from home. If you could work from home, you didn't necessarily need childcare. Although it was probably really difficult for people to work from home and help and be a pseudo teacher at the same time. Um, it just it just creates an expanded need for. Childcare options that are affordable, that support people, that are solutions to equity concerns, um, and that provide uh, high quality care, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of where you live. And definitely, the program that you sound like you
0: are advocating for, and um, President Biden's uh, child care credit, is a good blow to you know childhood poverty. So anything to help crush those numbers and help provide a better well-being for children is something good. So definitely good to hear that you are advocating that.
1: <laughs> and I think it's nuts. I mean, you could I think everyone should walk up to their to their congressperson or their state legislative representative and say, are you in favor or against children living in poverty? Because if you if you frame it by saying to them, why haven't you done anything to reduce child poverty in America? Like we, there are solutions here. This is a problem that we can solve. That if you if you put the feet to the fire and say, oh, so you don't want to eradicate child poverty in America, that is politically unpopular, obviously, which is why a Republican like Mitt Romney proposed the expanded child care tax credit, right? So expanded child tax credit. It, it's, it's time to hold people accountable for these massive systemic issues in the United States, and child poverty is one of them.
0: Okay, okay. That's definitely good good work that you're doing out there. So- uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more updates on that. So my next question, uh, kind of leans into what you've all been saying in this interview, uh, is how you live out your Catholic faith in the public eye. I think you said something at the beginning of like, you're, you're a public servant in the public sphere. So,
1: (laughs) so how do you live out your Catholic Catholic.
0: faith? (laughs) Right,
1: right. (laughs) I'll tell you what, uh, there is still a lot of anti-Catholicism in, in the United States. I mean, it's, Or or uh, Catholic skeptics, especially people who are publicly in office who are openly Catholic. I think, I mean, I received really nasty letters of people of people. um, Not not I won't call it threats, but to the level of almost threats of people using my Catholic faith as as a negative and saying some pretty stereotypical things that people say in the negative light about people who are Catholic. Um, And that's even at the local level, and that's at the local level of a place that's considered relatively liberal, like the Seattle metro area, right? Um, There are some things that the Catholic Church still needs to find solutions for and still needs to reckon with, no doubt. The body of Christ is not perfect right now. and we, we have a lot of work to do, but we're called to do it. We're called to do that work. And we're called to confront it and, and, uh, and find solutions for it together, um, especially as, as lay people within the church, right? We, uh, and so, you know, it, minus the sort of negative elements of uh, expressions of some folks towards my Catholicism when I ran for office, Uh, it it just, it just sort of emboldened me even more. You know, I, I, uh, I, every day I think about ways to improve the lives of people around me in my community. And I, I use that, I use my relationship to the spirit of God to do that, right? Like I, I wake up every day and I think about it. And I know that there's some inspiration there from, from my relationship to God. And I think that there's nothing negative about that and there, and there's only the light in that right and I think if you continue, if you focus on that you focus on the light in your life through God in your life and, and the and the spiritual blessings you know you can't go wrong um, and I just kept that in mind when I was running for office um, that you know this is something that this is something that I believe in and that I love and and, and I know that my my relationship to God, strengthens my ability to do positive things in my community okay that's definitely a good way to live out
0: your public faith and to have the inspiration uh rooted from your catholic faith is wonderful Uh, so my last question uh, is a very (laughs) if low fun question Uh, who's a favorite saint or do you have saints (laughs) um and why like what are some influential
1: lessons that you learned and gathered from them I love this question. I love that you offered it as the last one. I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, because saints are important for Catholic identity, right? I think saints, I think saints help guide people towards uh, finding answers to questions in their lives, right? right. Uh, who's you can your know confirmation a
0: saint? My, my confirmation saint is St. Peter Claver. So oh interesting okay yeah that's my guy uh my wife's is saint josephine Baquita and my son's baptism saint is uh, peter so very cool very cool <laughs>
1: good 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 <laughs> good options there um, yeah, yeah my confirmation saint is albertus magnus um okay Al- never heard albert of him the albert the great um and he was my dad's confirmation saint, and he's the name of my grandfather. So I think okay. uh, there was some genealogical things going on there. And uh, last year, I went to go visit his grave in Cologne, Germany, and, and stood stood by there and um, got to got to spend some time in quiet reflection at his grave. But so he certainly won Albert the Great. Um, but I I did a master's degree at the London School of Economics, and when I was uh, I was confirmed at. In college, actually. I was 22 when I was confirmed. Um, and I started having a really big dedication to St. Thomas More. And I was confirmed at St. Thomas More Catholic Church, the Newman Center at Washington State University. Go Cougs. Um, and when I was in London, this relationship just grew between me and St. Thomas More. Like, just, fast, you know, he inspires me every day. To stay true right. to my beliefs, to stay convicted and courageous in my uh, love of God, in my attempts to bring light to the world, like St. Thomas More is right side by side with me in this in this public service. Um, I find St. Thomas More uh, inspiring.
0: Him and uh, Edmund Campion are two really great, you know, mm. martyrs of that period. So definitely a good good
1: saint right there. <laughs> yeah, good great saint right there. And then she's not a saint, but Dorothy Day. Um, She's—I think she, you know she's she should be. I mean, she is for a lot of people. She's not officially a saint um, in the Catholic Church yet, uh, and there's some debate about if her family wants her to be, that, and that sort of thing. But um, but certainly, I am. I find a lot a lot of strength in Dorothy Day. Okay.
0: I never knew. um, I mean, I'm familiar with Dorothy Day and people's, uh, I guess, devotion to her, but I never knew that there was like a family dynamic uh, about her. So something to
1: research. Well, America Magazine writes a lot about it because uh, the city of New York just named a Staten Staten Island Ferry after her. So Dorothy Day's a Staten Island Ferry now, um, but she's not a a saint in the in the Catholic she's a servant of God I I believe so um but she's not a saint which is interesting but I find a lot of strength and and foundation in her too she's phenomenal she's amazing her life was incredible
0: that's definitely a lot of good holy men and women that you just given uh who are uh pivotal players in our church so definitely good to hear um, so this was all a conversation that we had, and you've given us a lot to reflect on and uh, think about uh, as we end and I hope that the listeners continue to pray for the work that you do in the city of Burien and, and uh continue to be a champion for you know justice equality and equal access to um you know the goods that people need uh continue to do that
1: i I appreciate that and every day you know I think we're all called to promote uh justice equality friendship mercy um you know, at the end of the, at the end of the good Samaritan, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Uh, So we're all called to go and do likewise.
0: And society would be a a better place if we, you know, all did that instead of not to say anything's wrong with voting or anything like that. But if, if we didn't think voting or the political parties are the end all be all, if we took that, that message to heart and, you know, advocated more and gave a little more and assisted others a little more. You know, we could have a society that we want instead of relying on politics as the the
1: main medium to make that happen. Absolutely, and that's a great that's a, good, that's a great that's call. Good. That's a great call right there. Make make society what you want to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you
0: guys make sure you keep Kevin in your prayers and the work that he does. And that's going to conclude this episode of Saintly Witnesses. And uh, you guys can tune into the next episode.